the way that we've we brought in those those lead roles was just like using our kind of network our connections to kind of make sure that that happened and that really kind of sets the kind of foundation once those guys start having the impact that they have it actually becomes really exciting it's very authentic it's not a story that that you're making up to try and attract people once people talk to us and once they can see the cool things that we're doing and the people that they would work with it's like oh yeah i would like to work there hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the private equity power talks podcast I'm your producer, Richard Ayliff. For this first episode of 2022, we're embracing change as we bring a new type of guest onto the podcast. As our members and some of our avid listeners will know, we recently launched our brand new Pep Talks executive community. This new network will take all the best aspects of our CEO community and allow executives to meet in a safe environment to absorb tailored content and learn from the collective knowledge of other ambitious PE execs. That's why, This episode will be the first in a brand new format, which will feature an expert executive outside of the CEO role. In each of these new format episodes, we will discuss our guests' executive job function and how they perform this successfully in their PE-backed businesses. To kick us off, we are joined by Love Holiday's CIO, Mike Jones, to discuss his role in driving technology transformation programs at U-Switch and Love Holidays in order to help those businesses scale effectively under PE ownership. Mike discusses the importance of authenticity and incremental improvements in his approach to innovation, value creation, hiring talent, and the exit process. Now, over to Sam and Mike. Okay, we're here with our next episode of Map of the Maze, and we're joined this time by Mike Jones. Mike Jones is the CIO of Love Holidays. This is his uh, second role under private equity ownership. His first was um, driving a technology transformation program at U-Switch. So we're delighted to have you here today, Mike, to talk to us about your digital transformation journeys. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So, I mean, maybe just to sort of start out, you know, the first question, um, how did you get, let's go right back to the beginning in terms of U-Switch. How did you get involved with U-Switch? How did, uh, what, was, what was the sort of brief when you went into that role? Um, so U-Switch, um, I w- used to work at a company called Traffic Broker that became Forward. They were looking to acquire, well, acquire businesses. That was where they, how they were growing. So um, they came across uh, U-Switch was on the on the market. It was like less than five million pounds, and they 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 acquired it. It was a it was a business that was failing. It was going backwards, and um, I got the opportunity really from the work that I'd done within Forward itself, and also previously as a as a consultant at ThoughtWorks, to be able to kind of go in there and try and change the uh, change the culture, make it much more technology driven, data driven, and actually product driven at the same time as well. So it was really driven out of that uh, opportunity that I was given by a guy called Neil Hutchinson at uh, Forward. And now you're in the second role at, uh, at Love Holidays. So you, you spent 10 years at U-Switch. <laughs> That's a long time. We'll, t- we'll touch on a lot of that, that journey. Um, but it, it, it ended with uh, an exit to trade, didn't it? Which effectively, I guess, meant my job's done. Yep. Probably don't need me anymore. <laughs> uh, it did, yes. Um, well, it was um, it was privately held. Then we, um, it was an exit to LDC. And then it was another exit to uh, 
a PLC. Suplo, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then it was another exit to trade after that. So <laughs> it was a uh, quite a quite a journey, a number of exits along the way. So yeah, it, was a, it was a really good experience. So so you know when you were when you came onto the market and you were thinking about doing something else, or maybe you didn't do that. Maybe Love Holidays gave you a call and said, "Look, we we've got a dire need for someone like you." How how did the the Love Holidays job come? Um, so it, at U Switch, I think I'd kind of outgrown my time there. Ten years is a long time to do the uh, the same thing. Uh, my remit was quite large. Uh, they wanted to go in a different direction, and I think it was a it was a good time to part ways. And uh, at that, that same sort of time, I was approached by Love Holidays, which was a it was a really exciting opportunity because I have a mentor. He always said to me that. It doesn't count if you do it once. You always have to do it twice. <laughs> so we did it in the switch. We kind of scaled out our, our business. And I was looking, I was always looking for that next opportunity to take something like switch and scale it again. And Love Holidays was a, was a really good opportunity to do that. It was the fastest growing business in the UK. Um, it would won um, a couple of uh, times awards for that. Mm. Um, it was... I mean, it was it was growing really quick, really really quickly. But if you looked at the from the outside, perhaps you wouldn't get that it was such a great business. And, uh, and all I all I could see with the holidays was how we could apply all of the learnings that we had at um, at Uswitch, and how we could make it just a, a next level business. How we could scale it, how we could grow it, and all of the things we could do to it. So it was it was actually really exciting. Met the uh, the founder, um, a guy called Alex Francis. Amazing guy. We kind of hit it off from the beginning, just the kind of talking about how you could scale businesses, how he had scaled his business, and it was like a, a big overlap. And it was just really exciting to get that opportunity to try and do the thing that we did at Usage again. Mm -hmm. Had had Living Bridge already invested at that point, or yes, yeah, they had. So about a, I think uh, six months to a year ago, they'd uh, they'd invested. Two founders, weren't there? There were two. It was uh, Alex Francis and Johnny Marsh. Yeah, those guys were there. And what, what had they had a someone like you before, a CIO, a CTO? Was this a very this is a brand new role into the business? Um, no, they, they they had a, um, a CIO and, and a CTO <laughs> uh, at the same time um, um, when I came in. Um, I think it, this. I suppose the size of their business they were, they, they, they've had some, well, they do, and we still do have some really big ambitions. They wanted to take the, the platform they built and scale it globally, um, and they wanted somebody who'd help, who could help them do that. When we, we talked about it, that was the, the thing they wanted me to come in to help do, so build something that can take what they did, they'd done over the last eight, eight years and actually make it, uh, like supercharge it for the, for the future. Mm -hmm. So you know, when you take on a role like this, and you know this business is super successful, one of the fastest growing companies in the UK already. They're already doing something really well, aren't they? There's not something seriously wrong, but they need they need someone like you to try and help it scale it to the to the next level, um, which you know on a piece of paper looks quite straight. You know that sounds you know all right. Let's let's take that on. But actually, you know, finding the pathway up up scaling the mountain is is a difficult thing to do. So, what, what what's your approach to that? How did you? come into the business and think about right how do I formulate a plan to to, to get technology to where it needs to get to so whilst it was a, a new domain for me so price comparison to travel this the switch wasn't such a big one because it's still just a marketplace business it was just a, a two-sided platform which is essentially what what you switch was so I had a kind of an under a really good understanding of the kind of business mechanics and that's what kind of I kind of hit off of the the founder originally I, I think because we could talk about those things about how you how you grew and scale those businesses um so I had that kind of foundation of understanding that uh, that business model uh, and I, so I spent just a lot of time really 
getting to know the differences and the nuances of travel. And the goal was really to kind of bringing the next level of specialization that can uh, help each of those areas that they built to scale. So it was, uh, as I said, people platform process. So as a startup, you, you tend to really focus on um, making a, a general team and a, and a generalized platform. And it was this is about taking a startup and scaling it. So it's moving from the, the general to the more specialized. That's in terms of so people, uh, new new skills from even from business IT, data, data engineering, engineering, those, those sort of skills to kind of bring some kind of deep knowledge about how to do that. Changing the processes a little bit as well. So moving away from perhaps just the the day-to-day focus where it was very much kind of Kanban daily prioritization to something where along the, the medium term, so applying kind of OKRs or kind of like a, a larger kind of vision for the future. And then the platform itself, just kind of helping to be able to implement a different way of thinking about technology. So it's a, it's a finding ways to take the big thing, decompose it into smaller problems so we can scale each of those individually. So in my head, I had that. So that was the kind of approach that we took to U-Switch. And so I was trying to really understand the, the business model, how we could apply technology to it and the best ways of structuring kind of the services and the teams around that. So you had you actually came in with, with a toolkit. You actually came in with a pretty good vision in terms of this is this is likely to be the the course of direction this business needs to take uh yeah i think i did <laughs> and it was quite interesting as the um as the the founder ceo stepped away and the new one joined uh, yeah. he, he kind of he often said that to me which i had a, a, a thing in my head that i wanted to get done and i was kind of ruthless in in terms of making sure that how my vision was kind of was kind of implemented. I was I wasn't kind of deviating from it. I was I was coming back to that. So I kind of I really had a, 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 an idea in my head about what a a good good business looks like that could scale. So it was about um, just figuring that out within travel and how you could arrange the the company to support that. Not not all our listeners will know what Love Holidays does. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I tried. So maybe 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 explain exactly what it does for the consumer. Um, so Love Holidays is a online travel agent. So it's uh, it sits obviously between the customers who are looking to uh, go on holiday. Uh, they want to they want to search the uh, all the possible holidays and what Love Holidays does really really well and slightly different to everybody. A lot of other people is, is aggregate that market. So it it has integrations where we're processing billions and billions of offers every day. Um, so we're uh, integrating with lots of hotels, bed banks. We get all of the views of the hotels in the world. We connect that with uh, flights and ancillaries and we package that up for you uh, and make it really kind of searchable so the one of the kind of key uh, usps for the holidays was it's what not where search so you could describe the type of holiday that you, you want <laughs> and then it would help you find navigate the endless possibilities uh, uh that there are out there to kind of find you the, the perfect holiday for you yeah so it's an online travel agent uh they, they they take those things they add a small margin on top of it for that service, it's at all protected, and we press that. Uh, we we give the customer that kind of confidence of the holiday that they're, they're getting on, get the refund, especially doing things like COVID, was quite important. So, when Living Bridge invested, I mean, what, what were they? What was in their value creation plan, or not not necessarily theirs, in the management team's value creation plan, in terms of you know where's this business going to go in the next three to five years? What are our expectations, and what we're going to do? It was very much focused on. Um, short haul beach holidays so that's the kind of the core proposition is that so looking to move that out into other segments um of that market was a, was a key proposition and then being able to prove that the 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 model itself could scale internationally so the goal was really to help them take that platform 
and scale it across across the globe. Yeah, so like you, you can deal with a customer in New Zealand as well as you can deal with a customer in Luton. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, it's it's just the aggregation of the because the hotel kind of integrations are the, are the same. So it's like you can go to the same hotels. It's just matching those up with flights and making sure that the proposition matches the uh, for that customer in that territory. Yeah. When you when you're going into these roles in a role like this, then are you are you looking very much at the sort of okay, well that's the value creation plan, that's that's where the business needs to end up, and then how do I apply my toolkit to transition technology to a point where it can it can deliver that? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely that as the end goal. So I think um, starting at the um, understanding where the kind of founder at that point or uh, the the new CEO wants wants to take the business. And working very closely um, with those people to kind of like just figure out how they see the business scaling, and then I think my job is really to kind of sketch out with them what a a good organisation that supports that in the future looks like, and then work backwards from there to kind of understand how we can uh, construct a technology organisation that supports that, and then how we can then incrementally deliver that over time. Okay, again, make that sound really easy, but um, <laughs> I know that's really difficult. So you, you said earlier, you just mentioned um, at the beginning that you know you've got a technology function that's sort of been entrepreneurial built. Um, yeah, you know, sort of doing. You've got people doing all things, fixing all sorts of problems, delivering all sorts of solutions, yeah. and you've got to transition it into much more of a sort of specialized um, structure. Yeah. Build competency. So, I mean, just, you know, I'm, how do you do that? Because um, you've got obviously got so much expertise in the people that have built the platform. Yep. And then it sounds like you've got to bring external expertise in. Yep. And, that, you know, that sounds like a sort of quite a scary change for <laughs> people in technology and then, you know, their jobs and responsibilities are going to change. So how, how, do you, how do you actually get that in place? And It's something we went through a few times within U-Switch uh, through a couple of acquisitions. So U-Switch acquired uh, top10.com and then we acquired money.co.uk. So we're used to kind of bringing kind of teams and, and helping uh, helping them transition to a, perhaps a new world. But they, I really think that helped me have a, a mental model about how to solve that. Um, there's a guy called uh, Kent Beck from Extreme Programming Fame and the Agile Manifesto. And he came up with a model called uh, 3X which describes really the kind of phases that companies go through. So the idea when you're a startup, it's all about exploration. And you're, and as you said, it's about it's very entrepreneurial. You're trying to find something that works and you're testing lots of stuff. And then the, the next phase you go into is much more about expansion or making sure that that, that thing can scale, which is quite a difficult transition. So that's the, that's the bit where you bring in, you're moving from this kind of entrepreneurial thing, a very generalized team to a much more kind of specialized needs because what you need to do is be able to make the technology, the processes and the systems scale. So, and that requires a different type of specialist thinking. And then the th uh, kind of third kind of phase you go through is about extract. So it's the extracting value from that. The, the, the key thing there is it's not a uh, one or the other. It's about, uh, it's a, he describes it as a triathlon. <laughs> right. So you have to manage, explore, expand, extract at, at, at the same time. So, so it was a really good model for, uh, for me, it kind of resonated a lot as we were kind of scaling out U-Switch. And so applying that kind of thinking and understanding the kind of boundaries between those and starting to kind of create plans about how we would think about doing that. So so when you apply that to kind of uh, Love Holidays, it was very much in that explore phase. It was very entrepreneurial, super, super entrepreneurial. Things delivered really, really quickly. Lots of focus on A-B testing. Uh, they, they did a really great job of just kind of finding things that worked. My job was really to take that and kind of 
expand it out. So make it make it work at scale. And that was about the the kind of the general thing to the specific, and that's bringing in yes, a whole load of new kind of specialists uh, into the organization. But it was really kind of uh, finding ways of uh, bringing the two together. So it was uh, finding the balance of really valuing what they've done before. So it was they, they've done an amazing job, and the mm. people there are still doing an amazing job today. And most a lot of the people are still there that built yeah. the original platform. And- yeah, they, there's, the, there's a few that have kind of left along the way, but they, there's a lot of the key people are still there uh, kind of helping us out. So it's mm. definitely, uh, we've managed to kind of keep them, uh, keep them engaged, give them new, really interesting jobs to do as, as the company scales. But it is quite different. So you, you jobs that were quite expansive uh, that went from that covered many areas became a bit narrower, but much deeper. So you had a much more kind of uh, you had uh, it was you, instead of looking after lots of different systems, you looked after fewer systems, but you had to make them work in, in very different ways and scale. So it was quite a, um, um, a mindset shift for people to get into. Um, but I think being cognizant of that and really kind of trying your hardest to uh, integrate. Those guys, like, like really recognizing what they had done and the, the value that they created, and finding a way to kind of link that to the future value that you're creating is, is really, really important. Is this like this sounds really expensive to me, mate? Um, <laughs> you know, you throw a complicated process at me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm putting myself in your founder's shoes. You know, this sounds really difficult, and we're going to have to hire a load of really talented people. We're probably going to cost shed loads of money um <laughs> so is it really expensive i mean is, you know is is there a high cost to this and you know what's the return on investment <laughs> so in that kind of startup phase there's a, there's actually a lot of a lot of waste so from a a team perspective we're probably neutral on cost even though we've brought in a a, a much more senior experienced team so it's a smaller team but it's much more experienced to be able to drive it out and we've also been able to fund that in different ways through kind of savings in the in the, the kind of platform itself. So from, um, for instance, we, we were able to kind of, during COVID, half the cost of our platform, just for the efficiencies that we're making. By investing in the, um, a much more specific platform, we were able to actually create even more cost savings. But not, it's not only about saving money, we were kind of, kind of generating money as well. So um, it was almost self-funding in a way. So whilst we were doing really exciting things with technology, investing in a a team around that, we started to automate about 40% of our kind of uh, contacts through kind of AI. So so we were making everything much more efficient. But sort of a couple of examples like the search platform and the contact center where actually investing in technology and investing in people, it, it generates efficiencies, but lots of actually business, business benefit at the same time. So you, you, the requirement for people is less. You're automating. Um, well, I think they're the auto- directing. Uh, the automation in the contact center reduced the kind of overall cost of that because it was the the fewer people required to handle the kind of volume in the contact center. So few people on phone, maybe redirect that investment into technology uh, was, was definitely one way of doing it. So the, the answer to my question is, yes, you're going to have to spend some money initially, but the return on investment, you're going to end up spending less for more. That, that's where we've ended up, yeah. Definitely by doing that. So yes, there's a, a slight investment, um, but I think the the investment sort of shifts as well as I mentioned from um, like people to tools as well. So instead of hmm. building your own thing, I think it's really important to understand um, what the key parts of your business are and decide whether that's something that's that, that should be proprietary to your business, like our search, or something that's a commodity that you should buy in. And so you can also then shift out the number, of, uh, reduce down the, the number of developers you need by buying in tooling that that you 
potentially would build before. So being able to kind of have that kind of mindset as well um, mm. really helps you scale without needing to add lots of people into it. Yeah. Did you know where to go to find those external solutions to, um, I suppose, that outsourcing? So what you're, you know, you're talking about building t- internal technology that focuses on the problems that are unique to you or the challenges that are unique to you, where your real value creation is going to be driven from, Correct. and then outsourcing and finding software solutions or, or external solutions for those problems that you've been busy working on, but actually someone else can do it better than you. Yeah. Now, did you know where to go for those or did you have to go and seek them out? Um, we had to seek them out a few of the times, but the people that I... I, um, that came along with us, so there's there's quite a few. So um, the specialists that they that you bring in with you, I I kind of expect to have that understanding of those domains to help us kind of solve it. Mm. How long does this does this process take? I mean, you're probably going to say, well, it never stops. <laughs> you keep you keep doing it, yeah. but you know, from the point of of you starting in in 2019, you know, how long did it take you to sort of initially sort of start making those shifts away from you know, an entrepreneurial, the pure entrepreneurial structure is something that had a bit more rigor. It's one of those things that you do very incrementally, and it's really difficult to to see the change. Um, a very smart lady I used to work with uh, told me that agile needs a story, <laughs> and that's part of this kind of incremental delivery of things. Uh, you you kind of miss it along the way, so you need to make sure you've <laughs> right. got the kind of KPIs that you're, you're tracking. Uh, I think from from day one, uh, it was just about starting to get the uh, momentum behind um, maybe a, a change in approach. But then very quickly, because we, we, uh, the people we brought in had done those sort of things before, you could really start seeing some, um, some real differences over the course of two years. It was, it was nice to kind of reflect kind of last Christmas and just look back at all the, all the changes that we made. And it's, it, was, it was just a, like a wow moment, which is like, wow, we've moved from here to here. I can't believe we've done that, that, that much in that amount of time. And it's, it's something that you deliver quite incrementally. So I think that's one of the most important things here is to kind of really start tracking things with KPIs, having the, the measures behind that so you can actually, as you're going along, you're, uh, you, you're building that story, you're building that narrative that helps kind of uh, show, prove the value that you're delivering. Well, let's, let's, let's go there now then in terms of measuring the transformation and measuring the improvement in performance. And how did you decide on the right KPIs? Again, was that just pulling them out of the toolkit from, from the U-Switch <laughs> days? Or, I mean, you know, how, how did you go about putting the right measurements in place? So there's, I think there's two axes that I think about this. From One is uh, one of our principles that we wrote up <laughs> recently uh, is that uh, technology is really a means to an end. Uh, so it's the, the way that we value the improvements that we're making in, in technology through the business metrics. So the approach that we took to uh, decomposing, which was quite a, uh, a complicated business, into six or seven smaller teams, we made sure that they have clear KPI, clear responsibilities, and, and KPIs associated with those responsibilities. So one way to prove those things, I get, um, we're having the impact is against the, the team level KPIs to show that we're we, we know what they are and they're improving week on week, month on month, and that kind of gives you the kind of compound improvements that you can get just by. Lo- fixing lots of things at the same time and you can get a really lots of value and benefit doing it that way but that's much more from the the things that we build but from a, a technology perspective one of the kind of things that the current CEO has really helped out with is just kind of thinking about uh, making sure we've got external benchmarks that we're using to kind of judge ourselves against mm-hmm. uh, and one of those for technology um, 
comes from a, a book called Accelerate, where there's like four key metrics from their research is correlated with high performing technology teams. So there's those four things are something that put in place from the start that we've been tracking over time. And it's and it's part of the thing that creates that story that Agile needs. So what, what are those four things? Change cycle is one of them. It's just how long it takes you to, to put something into production. Another one is uh, deployment frequency. Another is the change failure rate if you when you put something into production how often does it fail and the other is mean time to recovery so it's if something happens how long does it take you to actually um, uh, recover from that from that failure so we started tracking those in, in different ways but from the very beginning and we were able to show over time our move from really kind of being a, a really good performing technology team because they were very entrepreneurial but to move our move towards elite level across those metrics. We've changed the development process. Previously, it was you had one big change. Now we're making lots of smaller changes. And so we can see all those through the metrics. So we can show as a technology organization, we're, we're improving. We're at an elite level kind of technology team. How do you interact with the other business functions and in terms of value creation I suppose you know I suppose sometimes in the and like from an entrepreneurial perspective these tech teams can be seen as like oh god they're, they're the sort of tech geeks you know doing stuff that we don't really understand and you don't you know you want to move away from that and into the heart of the business as quickly as possible don't you yeah definitely so um we've we've ended up in a quite a matrix structure so these teams have become quite cross-functional so um we'll we've broken the organization down into those seven teams that I've mentioned. And each of those teams have everything it needs to work in a loosely coupled way. So they should be, so they've got a set of responsibilities that we need expertise in. So let's take one example, like searching and pricing. So we build a team around that and we make sure that's populated with uh, technology people, so engineers, product people, um, analysts, data scientists, we'll all work together on those problems. And so it's the same on all of the other kind of um, problems that we want to build expertise in. So supply, the technology teams work really close with the commercial people, with the operation people to make sure that the, the things that we're building are correct uh, and that it's working appro uh, appropriately and actually using their insights to figure out what to do next in those teams as well. So it's so in, across all of those, we're, we're basically in partnership um, with each of the other execs. So we've, in those seven areas, um, which are really kind of technology teams, I partner with um, another member of the exec for each of them. So from the, the CFO, the CMO, the CDO, I'll work with each of those on it, um, to kind of figure out what the strategy is for each of those areas. Where, where, how do you think about private equity in all of this? Um, <laughs> do, you know, do, do technologists like you, are they thinking about, okay, yeah, but we've got this type of funding and we need to get to this end date uh, and we need to look like X or are you really thinking about, okay, well, I've, got to, I've got to focus on the technical transformation. If we get to there, then we will achieve that sort of financial metric alongside it. It's, it's more the uh, the latter and the former. I think it's really important for the, 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 the team themselves to remain focused on actually building something that's... Um, it's awesome. It's world class. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So we want to. We want to. Don't be distracted by the exit. Don't be distracted about the um, the the type of ownership that you're involved in. Just try and do something that's um, that will kind of last beyond those. Uh, which was something that we definitely did at U Switch, which was around. You know, it went from 
<laughs> private ownership, yeah. uh, private equity, PLC. Back to, uh, so he's like, it went through each of those. But the thing we were trying to do across all of that was just kind of make a great product, make a great organization. And that's what kind of we want the kind of the the teams focused on is that the the constraints, I think the private equity just provides like kind of constraints or guardrails about what's actually possible really, <laughs> rather than the uh, the kind of the, the driver for it. Might be a controversial question, but is, is private equity the right type of funding for an environment like this? You know, you know private equity uses debt uh, <laughs> and loan notes and looking to sort of triple the value of the business. They're not thinking about it like a venture capitalist, a venture capital, this will pump money into it. It's not in the shape of debt. Uh, money burn is normal. Money burn in private equity is not is not really acceptable, is it? <laughs> uh, no, but I think that's. I enjoy that kind of environment, though. I think um, what my one of my skills is, I think, is I'm not that great at coming up with things. But if you give me something, I could make it ten x better. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I think I my mindset kind of fits alongside that. So there's a, a business that's got um, it's been proven out, much like you switches, much like other holidays is. It's got past the starting. Yeah, it's, it's 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 past that phase, and it's just about how do you how do you kind of take that thing and make it better. Um, and that doesn't necessarily require the same huge amounts of like throwing money at it to, to make it work. I think it's you can do it in a much more considered way if you understand technology and if you apply it if you apply it in the right way. So as I, as, as we've kind of talked about, it's not um, we haven't done it on a budget, so so to speak. But we've we've not needed a, a large budget budget to do it. There's, there's a, as you said, there's an initial investment in um, in the right people in the. In the, for the right specialisms, but we've recouped that back like pretty quickly in terms of the the impact that we could have on the business and the efficiencies that we've, we've driven through those people. So I think it's it has been self funding in that way. So, and technology is notoriously difficult to to well competitive to hire the great developers into, isn't it? Attract <laughs> the best best quality talent. It is. Um, how how have you done that? I, I think the the first thing for me was to kind of. I uh, use my network to bring in people that I would trust to be able to do that. So the the way that we've we brought in those those lead roles, those things I talked about, plus some underneath, was just like using our kind of network, our connections to kind of make sure that that happened. And that really kind of sets the kind of foundation. Once those guys start having the impact that, that they have, it actually becomes really exciting. So we've done a couple of world firsts at, at the holidays in the, in the time that I've been there, one for A-B testing, which is like really awesome. Um and that kind of once you start delivering things and once you start changing the culture and once you can see those, it becomes um, it's very authentic. So it's not a it's not a story that uh, <laughs> that you're making up to try and attract people. Mm. Uh, it's re- once people talk to us, what we see is from our kind of metrics about recruitment is once we get into the, them into the funnel, <laughs> once they talk to us and once they can see the cool things that we're doing and the people that they would work with. It's like, oh, yeah, I would like to work there. So we have a very high return of getting people into it. The, the, the challenges that we really have here are more about the, um, the top of the funnel, <laughs> so, so to speak, uh, uh, getting your brand out there, getting it much more understood uh, so that you can, um, so that uh, like finding more people to, to kind of uh, talk to. So that's, we're, we're slightly changing our approach to recruitment um, to do that. But so, so speaking at conferences, PR. Uh, PR, we've started a tech blog. We're really kind of pushing that on LinkedIn. We're trying to kind of create some momentum around um, the change that we that we had. I think that's one of the learnings that we did uh, from you, Switch, if I was honest. Um, we did loads of amazing things. 
but we never talked about it. <laughs> so it was, um, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot there a little bit. So we, um, we were kind of known in, in niches, but not actually as a, as a great talking technology organization. So this is the, one of those learnings to, to apply to, um, to the holidays was just when we're doing these things, start talking about them. Mm. And that's having a really good impact as well. So I think it's, it's, it's good for people themselves as well, who are, who are doing that. Oh, so it's, it's not just, it's not just myself that's promoting it. It's the, uh, heads of engineering that we've got there and and also the, the team themselves at conferences and those pieces as well. Were. It strikes me that you're, you know, the, what, what you've done in the last two years is very much um, optimised the experience that you'd already developed. You, but you wouldn't have had the toolkit at Usage. You had to learn there. What advice would you give to those CIOs, CTOs doing it for the first time and just you know, testing stuff for the first time, trying new processes and models for the first time? I think my my prior experience of becoming um, CTO at Uswitch was actually really helpful for me. So being a consultant was was really um, uh, was really important. Which because you just see you went across lots of different organisations, you see lots of different problems, and you can see the commonality of that. I think that gave a really good kind of basis of understanding what good teams look like what good organizations look like i think i was i've been very lucky through the, my entire kind of career to work with some some ceos with a lot of patience <laughs> so steve weller at uswitch was there as a really awesome guy i class him as a, a really good friend now but he was very patient with me during that time whilst i was trying to really um kind of in, in, instill that kind of like uh, that kind of approach so I was backing myself and he was very kind of he helped really um, push that out in the organisation so you, you really have to believe in yourself you have, but I think that has to again it has to be authentic you have to yeah. have, you have to have seen it before you have proven it out and that was kind of what, what I'd done over the course of my, my career up to that point Did you I think you I don't think we mentioned it on the podcast uh, so far but as you came in you were you were talking about you being with a mentor yeah. and yet, you know, you strike me as a very experienced, um, you know, technology operator and <laughs> agent of change, but it's really, it's, you know, it's great. You're still working with a mentor. Um, how, do you think that's really, that's really helped you? That's been really important for your development. I think it's one of the, if there's a piece of advice I'd give anybody, <laughs> it would be to get a mentor as soon as possible. Um, the, I was, uh, we talked about private equity. I think the, the impact it's had on me was, um, so Canal who had worked with LDC had, had, um, said, you will like this guy, have a chat with him. So I ended up talking to a, a, um, a person called Phil Mayle and he was, he's been fundamental in helping me uh, kind of evolve as a person over the last 10 years. Uh, to be honest, he's just nudged me back in the right direction. He's deal with, uh, dealt with my kind of emotional outbursts or, <laughs> or, or frustrations, and he's always been there to kind of um, really help me see a, a path forward, but what, whatever that was. And it's really nice because I, I think, as we were talking about previously, um, I always felt that the the challenges that we're facing at Uswitch were maybe like um, super unique to that organisation. But having somebody to talk that through and who's a bit more experienced, who did it before, I think, no, mate, it's like here's here's ten other examples of. Uh, this is <laughs> not unique. Yeah, you're not a unique snowflake. Uh, here's uh, here's like three ways you can think about it, and here's uh, and so it was it was really really useful to have um, somebody to. Not, it's a, more than a coaching relationship, but somebody who's actually done it before, who's just really helped me over time to kind of really nudge me in, in lots of different directions, came in to help 
have difficult difficult conversations with work, um, help us think about strategy, help us think about technology, uh, how you scale technology. And it's been really kind of fun, um, fundamental in how I've, I've thought about things and, and really not just about technology, but how to interact with uh, other exec members, other members of the team and, and how, how important those things are, giving a real kind of example to kind of try and uh, live up to, to be honest. Yeah. What about um, the exit experience? So you, you went through a few trans transactions at, at Uswitch. Um, what have you got now in your toolkit, having done that a few times, <laughs> to prepare you for the next transaction that's inevitable in, with, with Love Holidays? Well, I think the, the process itself, one of the things that uh, is in my toolkit now is like kind of running those kind of due diligence processes, being able to kind of take a, a technology organization and show how awesome it is and the, the kind of great things that we're doing and kind of um, really help people understand that. I hope that's that's something we'll get to do again quite quickly at Love Holidays. <laughs> um, one of the reasons why those KPIs are so important for technology, just to show how, how well you're improving as a team to kind of have some, again, authentic ways of saying, look, we're an awesome technology team. So I think that's that's something that's really important. I think. Do you expect that to have a material impact on valuation? I hope it would this time, yes. At U-Switch, I think one of the learnings that I had from there, which was we never really were able to articulate the, articulate the value that uh, technology generated in that business. It's something I've learned massively from our CEO I work with called Donna Retief. Again, amazing, amazing guy. And one of his really amazing skills I'm so jealous of <laughs> is being able to kind of create a really good narrative and helping people understand understand the business in really simple, relatable terms. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing skill that he's got. That's just really frustrating to watch. Uh, Trying to learn that from him. But I think it's the same thing that we need to do with technology. It's like really kind of explain technology and the value it gives to that business. And if we look back at what we saw at Uswitch for, which I think was described as a deal of the century for Alex Chesterman, which is great on me, but still. But it's still a great deal for the investor. It was a good exit. It did what it needed to do. It did, but we we didn't describe the awesomeness of the um, the organisation that we built. So I think that's something that's um, kind of really want to change and hopefully it would have a, um, a real big impact on the valuation. Um, so be ready in terms of the due diligence process. Yep. Uh, and then also be selling, you know, like really understand where the sort of real value is within the function and communicate it really effectively, I guess, into that IM, into the story, yeah, and into the presentations. And so, yeah, so definitely the, the, the part the technology plays is, is super important, but how that kind of ladders up into the, uh, like this, there's key parts of value that we're trying to create and actually not not just in for that transaction but for for future transactions as well so you can yeah. see you can see the path to it and uh, it, it doesn't just stop there how do you um i mean again you, you're sort of pretty experienced now you've been through this on, on a few turns but I bet you switch it was pretty full on at times um, <laughs> I mean, how, how do you just maintain i mean you've probably got there now but what 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 how did you change in terms of your personal setup to deal with the, I guess, the internal angst of wanting to sort of deliver that vision you've got for technology and, and you know, deliver against the business plan. Because, you know, what you're talking about is massive transformation and it it, it probably can eat you alive on it if you don't <laughs> if you don't manage it carefully. It, it can. I think it gets very, very stressful. Um, and I think it's where the 
patience of Steve Weller really helped out at the beginning. So I was, I was still a CTO. Uh, but I think um, one of the things that I've found really helpful is honestly exercise and those things is just having an outlet outside of the uh, outside of the uh, the day to day that I could focus on. So um, back at U switch days, it was uh, lifting really heavy weights. <laughs> so, so there wasn't actually something as like uh, as stressful as getting under. What a... did you get to? <laughs> so I was squatting about 188k, which was, a, which was a, a big one. But now it's jujitsu. So it's another thing, which is, um, which I think is really awesome. I, I wish it had done a long time ago, but the, one of the kind of key concepts of that is being comfortable being uncomfortable. So you, you have to get yourself in a position where you're, where it's really stressful, but you're, you just get used to it. Um, and it's, I think, so that, that's something that's really helped. Um, like being comfortable, being uncomfortable in, in my career has been, um, I think I'm okay with that. I think I've, I've, I've learned a kind of a thick skin to be shouted at, to be, you know, in those kind of really stressful situations, um, like during COVID, like those, all of those things are just be, and not kind of reacting too emotionally to that. And things like jujitsu, weirdly, really helped. Yeah, um, I, can, I completely understand that. And you'd probably be really uncomfortable, comfortable now, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I always have to be somewhat uncomfortable <laughs> while what I'm doing. Well, Mike, that's been brilliant. I really appreciate you talking to us. I think, um, I think you might get a few approaches when this goes out. <laughs> For a bit of mentoring, maybe, and a bit of, you know, give us a sense of what I'm about to do. So uh, I think it was really insightful. And um, thanks again. Nope. It was a pleasure. It was awesome. Thank you very much.